what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Special show today. I'm Jamie Dodd, but not joined by Thomas Strance today. I got my guy Randeep Janda here instead. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, yeah, Drants are off today. So uh, normally, during the season, the color commentator for the Canucks games here on 650. And uh, we're finally making you do a little work around here. You've had it easy. You've had it easy for the last six weeks or so, Randy. We're dragging you in to do some work. Me on the airways on May 24th, when the Canucks are not in the playoffs, anything can indeed happen, folks. <laughs> I'm on air here in Vancouver. There you go. Uh, yeah, it's uh, glad to have you aboard. First um, time I'm actually guesting with you as well. Yes, you used I to that's guest correct. on the old Reach Deep and yep. the People Show, your mm-hmm. producer of the People Show, but mm-hmm. first time ever. Uh, doing a great job as well. In yeah, you're, you're, you're guesting on my show now. I know. You're on my territory, the power, power dynamic has shifted. <laughs> it's changed in a big way, yeah. I'm going to show you what's what here. Um, <laughs> lots to get into today. we got a couple of guests coming up a little later. Uh, but, you know, Drance and I touched on this really briefly yesterday. It just kind of happened. It broke a little bit during our show, so we took like five minutes at the end of the show on it. But, you know, one of the big talking points uh, around the market comes from uh, the reporting done by Scott Powers in The Athletic, of course, Scott covering the Chicago Blackhawks. And just, you know, he published a column yesterday, just kind of things he's hearing about the Blackhawks and their plans. And one of the items involved the Vancouver Canucks. And I'll just read it here. I'm sure you've had a chance to check it out yourself. But talking about the uh, Blackhawks' interest in moving up, of course, they have the first overall pick in the draft. They also have pick 19, trying to move up from 19 into the top 15. And Scott Powers writes... Uh, The Vancouver Canucks might be the only team that could make sense. It's no secret the Canucks are trying to get out of a few contracts this offseason. If the Blackhawks took on one of those contracts and packaged a first and second round pick, maybe that would entice the Canucks to trade the number 11 pick. So this has been uh, kicked around and debated. And again, I had a very, very short say on it yesterday towards the end of the show. The overwhelming reaction and the sense I'm getting from, you know, looking at our text box uh, online, on social media, just listening to other hosts on the station is people hear anything about trading down, not picking at 11, and immediately they say, nope, not interested. We need to find that star player at 11. We need to hit a home run with that pick. But here's the thing. Like, I, I have been adamant about There's only so much you want to do in terms of attaching sweeteners to move some of these bad deals. If we were talking about, like, attaching pick 11 and getting nothing back and moving Connor Garland, yeah, that would be a terrible idea. But you're not losing a first-round pick here. You're moving down, but you still get a top 20 pick. You still get a good pick, and you potentially pick up another second-round pick. The Canucks, yes, they need high-end talent. They need star talent, which you have a better chance of getting at 11. But they also just need volume. They need assets. They need flexibility. So to me, if this is on the table, I I almost see it as a no-brainer, right? The draft capital is probably a wash, plus you create some of that cap flexibility. I've been very surprised by the strong negative reaction against this proposal here. Yeah, normally anytime you're talking about trading a a first-round pick, anything in the top 15, I'm usually hitting you with an adamant no. Like, (laughs) honestly, I'm very much of the opinion of when you have a first-round pick, that high you don't move off of it you try to take the best player available however and this is where 
I think there's a little bit of a, a change and maybe maybe a, a difference of viewing the situation. Most people say 11th pick. Yeah, it's not the first pick, but still, it's a, it's a quality pick. Mm-hmm. You can get a good player. Why would you trade that away? And most years, that's right. This year, the way that the team is probably thinking is, what's king right now? It's cap space. Yep. And if you can get cap space without losing a first-round pick, just moving down, you're trying to make this a competitive team. You're trying to spend some money that currently you do not have. So normally, I would be in a, you know, in a situation saying, moving off the 11th, moving down, I'm not a fan of that. But this year, the way that the team views the situation, views the competitive window, you're going to have to find cap space somewhere. And if you don't lose a first-round pick and that happens, this might be the best of all the scenarios out there if this is a realistic option. Well, and the thing that the, the big thing for me too is the second round pick. And I know it's easy to scoff, I'm like ah, second round pick, like it's not it's not that big a deal. I mean, we talk about the Canucks prospect pool all the time and how much it desperately needs to be restocked. You're not going to do that just with one pick. Like I understand that in general, you want quality of prospects and quality of picks over over quantity. This team needs both. Right, this yeah. team needs both. They need the quantity too. They need that depth in the system. And you know, look, they've made like one second round pick in the last three drafts in Danilo Klimovich, right? Eventually you have to have a, you know, more than one legit good draft picks in a draft, right? So that's a huge part of this for me as well, is that you have a chance not just to get a, de- a decent second round pick, but potentially a high second round pick if you were to consider a deal like this. And the other part of it is, you know, People hear, okay, they're going to create cap space. And then the immediate concern is, well, what are they going to do with that cap space, Mm -hmm. right? Because we know they want a third-line center. We know they want to add another defenseman. And I agree that if the plan is to, you know, spend assets to create cap space and then immediately turn turn around and give it to, you know, a 30-year-old or a 31-year-old who's kind of a short-term third-line center, yeah, I don't like that plan. That's not the only thing you can do with cap space, though. There are other options that become available to you when you have cap space. We haven't seen it here because the team has so rarely had cap space. But, like, the the New Jersey Devils go out and trade for John Marino last year because the Penguins are up against the cap and he becomes available. What if a player like that hits the market and you can get them at a reasonable price? The Devon Taves deal from a the couple Devon years Taves ago. Taves deal. Right? If that happens now, the Canucks can't be involved in it because they don't have any cap space. Once you open it up, well, all of a sudden, all these other options are open to you as well. You, they, they don't have any of that flexibility or that ability to be creative now. This is the type of move you might have to consider to open that up. Yeah, this is about generally of the moves that you can make with those draft picks that you may pick up, the, the surplus ones you want to call it, although the Canucks don't have surplus draft picks. That's a part of the equation. Uh-huh. But beyond that, Jamie, I, I think, you know, there's an ultimate, there's a fear to say, all right, at 11, you could... Maybe get a Benson. Maybe in a dream world, it's Michkov. Maybe it's Reinbacher. You know, maybe there's mm-hmm. certain players that the Canucks need in their system that if they fall to 11, the Canucks trade out of that spot, what kind of player are you going to get 19? And the way, and listen, not a draft expert, but if you listen and if you, you pay attention to what some of the experts are saying, we obviously know there's a tier one, and that's a, a one-player tier. Then you've got probably a, a tier two of what? Five players? Yeah. Thereabouts? The next three or four players. Yeah. yeah. So down to five, probably something like that. Yep. So you've got that. Then you've got a tier three that probably dips into that that teens range. Uh, there's probably about four tiers in the top 20. So yes, there's going to be a difference of player, 
But is there still an opportunity to get a good player at 19? Probably. You have Absolutely to have you have to is. have faith in your scouting department, right? And that's where I think there's a a little bit of for sure fear to say, do you miss out on a special player at 11? And that's that's the reality of the situation. You're probably going to have a Remember the Canucks when they traded away that first round pick? Mm-hmm. Connor Garland, OEL, we all remember the deal. Mm-hmm. And everybody was saying, all right, Dylan Gunther better go in that spot because if somebody drops, Vancouver will lose its mind. To be fair, Dylan Gunther's a damn good player and the Canucks could use him in the, the prospect pool now, but you want to avoid that type of situation. But in reality, where this team's at right now, you might not be able to avoid that because you need to, you need to create that cap space. So it's a risk that the Canucks in some way or form, are likely going to have to take. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, I I keep butting up against this because we're trying to – we sit here and we try to brainstorm, you know, okay, how are they going to improve this team? How are they going to accomplish all of the things that they want to do? There's no easy way about this. You know what I mean? There's there's not going to be a lot of moves where you look at it and you love it from every angle. And there's no risk and there's only upside. You think, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. You have to do it. Any move that the Canucks can make is going to involve some risk, some potential downside, some pain, something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. That's just the situation they're in. There's no easy There's no easy answers out of this. They're in a bind, right? I think everyone can agree on that. And when you're in that bind, like I think you have to be willing to take some swings. You have to be willing to take some bold moves. And again, this idea that going from 11, you know, this is not losing a first round pick. You're dropping down eight spots. That hurts. I'm not going to say that's nothing. But you still have a first-round pick. And, like, look, Wyatt Johnston. Yeah. That was pick 23 in the 2021 draft. Third-line center for a team that's in the conference finals. Now, we can talk about how the Stars are performing in the conference finals, but they're still in the final four. It's not Wyatt's problem, no, though. No, it's he not has Wyatt's <laughs> issue. <laughs> but it's some other guy from Victoria that <laughs> might, we might talk about a little bit later. But, like, you can get impact players past 15 in the draft. L- lower likelihood, for sure. Even in the second round. You can get players that can help you in a couple years, right? So this is not, you know, tearing it down and trading for futures or anything like that. This is checking a bunch of boxes at once. It's creating cap flexibility. It's basically, I would say, like equaling out in terms of draft value, but also getting an extra process, getting an extra pick, which is something you need to do. So I I don't know how many moves are going to be on the table that allow the Canucks to accomplish all of these goals. They're all going to involve some risk, though. You just have to embrace that at a certain point. And the way that Powers wrote that piece, right? Um, the Canucks are really the only team, the only team that are in this situation, which is a negative because you're in the overage. You've got more, you know, spent for next year than you can probably do, which is, and Vitaly Kravtsov situation helps with that a little bit. But at the same time, on the other side of things, if Chicago wants to do business, and, and if you are a fan of this sort of deal, mm-hmm. There's only one team that would probably be interested. There's only one team in that situation. Philly, they're not going to do it. Yeah. You look at St. Louis, they got $7 million in cap space. They're not going to do it. So, yes, it's not a great situation to be in, but if this is a deal that Canucks management like, if you as a fan like this, Canucks kind of have that, that market cornered because I don't see anybody else in and around that top 10 probably wanting to move out. They're not in that situation. So... You know, look at the ways that you can create cap space. This is one of them. The other would be, and you mentioned it before, trade a pick with a bad contract. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that. No, I'm very, especially at the price. If It would be one thing if they had three second round picks this year, right? If they had accumulated picks and then say, okay, maybe we can afford to move one to open up some cap space. They're not in that position. They're not. They're not in that position. Okay, outside of that, add a sweetener. 
yeah. which could happen. But is that n- enough of a sweetener to you know get a lot of salary off the books when we're talking about a you know depending on I know the name Niels Hoglander has been put out there, mm-hmm. but you're probably going to need cheaper contracts on the wing. Well, yeah, especially if you're getting rid of wingers. Hoaglander to me is the replacement. For sure. You know what I mean? If you move Connor Garland, you don't want to attach Niels Hoaglander to Connor Garland because Hoaglander's the guy who's going to step into the lineup to replace him, right? Exactly. And the other name, Jack Rathbone, how much value does he have across the league right now? Not much. So I don't know if you have the right sweetener outside no. of draft picks. So that's the thing. Like, they're in this position where, again, if there were if there was a really simple way to get all of the things that they want to do done, right, and it didn't make you uncomfortable in any way, that would be great. I just don't see that one out there. Now, I do think part of the reaction has been kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to belittle or, or make light of something like PTSD very serious, but just kind of this, like, fear of deals in the past, right? This this memory of deals in the past that went the wrong way. And Rager texts in, I can't believe we're having this conversation. We should have rebuilt for 10 years. Now we're talking about trading down for someone to take a bad contract uh, while, while also needing high-end picks because we don't have any. We're literally stuck in the mud. Jeff on the Island says, we should not be freeing up cap space to be sending, spending in free agency. We need to make hockey trades for players. And I've seen people compare this to like the OEL deal, right? Yeah. Where it was, okay, hey, if you just wait a year, all those bad contracts go away. Instead, you do the OEL deal, it completely blows up. It's a horrible trade that's really put you behind the eight ball now. But again, this to me, this is very, very different from a panic, win now, give up a really valuable asset, take on a hugely distressed asset. The thing with that OEL trade was, yes, you could have waited. Like, that was cap neutral at the time that didn't actually create cap space for you you know what i mean in oel and garland you immediately spent all of that cap space this one you're creating salary cap flexibility and yes you're trading down but you're not losing the pick altogether like you did in the oel oel one so i get it like trading a high pick for salary cap related reasons really blew up that there i I, this is a completely different deal this is a completely different deal and the nature of that deal what do we call it Right, it was the summer of Jim. It was a home run swing from Jim Benning. Mm-hmm. That was his chance to try to try to really, you know, in a lot of ways, a last stand. Like you're this either the, you're either is, yeah. you're it's either winning hail, something. My hail mary play here. You're yeah. either winning something or you're getting fired, and we know how that played out. Where this this is not that. This is more of a a longer term play to say cap flexibility. And to your point, yes, you could dip into free agency and you could sign a twenty nine or a thirty mm-hmm. year old. But there's other ways to do business. So cap cap space lets you do a whole lot of other things. That's yeah. not the only option you have when you have cap space. So I, I get the hesitancy that like that's typically how they've used it, but that's not the only option you have once you have that cap space. No, but when I the one thing I will say though is this management team, you know, and this thought about like rebuilding and hey, make the pick and three or four years from now you'll have a player. And that's a valid point. And you'll still get a player like that potentially at nineteen. But they want, they need cap space. Because what is, I know Drant asked Tom, uh, Patrick Alvin about, mm-hmm. you know, the goal for next year is making the playoffs. And you could see Patrick Alvin kind of try to wriggle out of it. But he eventually said, yes, of course, every team wants yep. to make the playoffs. That is the ambition of any team. If you're watching the Florida Panthers play right now, you're saying, hey, just get in. You never know. A goalie like Thatcher Demko can help you out. So when you're trying to do that, you need that cap space. So even though we're dealing in a world of a prospect three or four years down the line, and you'll still have that at 19 if you make this deal, that cap space is king right now. And rebuilding is not a part of the equation. Whether you want it, I want it, 
know, Rager wants it, whoever wants it. it the mandate right now is not that. This is the th- they just need they need options. They need flexibility. And I mean that in terms of cap space. I mean that in terms of having more prospects. I mean mm-hmm. that in terms of having more draft picks so you can trade them. Like, again, draft pick, people here are like, oh, a second-round pick. That's not going to help. Elias Pettersson's in his prime now. Well, you can trade a second-round pick for something down the road if you want. But you have to accumulate them first. You know what I mean? You have to do the, do the work of adding those assets this type of deal that we're talking about with Chicago helps you do that a little bit. It gives you different ways to improve in the future, not five years down the road, in the near future, which is why I think it would be attractive to this front office. Now, a lot of a lot of text coming in uh, along this line. I'll read this one from uh, Cody from Victoria. He says, zero way, zero way we do this trade unless it's OEL is the one attached. Garland, Besser, and Myers do not have negative value. They should be able to get... Uh, at minimum, a third or fourth round pick without needing to mix uh, an 11th overall pick in. So, I mean, I what we've heard is that Garland and Besser do have negative value, right? That there aren't teams that are going to give you something to get them, that you're going to have to attach something to move them. We can see how that develops. You can dispute that, but that's just based on the reporting we've heard. And you take into account that the winger market should be pretty, pretty, you know, thick, right? You there look, should be a surplus of you wingers. You look around at every team that's up against the cap. Like, I saw Mark Spector at Sportsnet saying, priority number one for the Oilers, trade Kyler Yamamoto, right? Like, every team that's up against the cap, yep. the guy they're trying to move, it's not a really good center. It's not a good defenseman. It's a winger, right? So, there are going to be options. If you're, if you're looking to make a cheap trade to acquire a winger, there are going to be lots of options out there that are probably cheaper than Garland and Besser. Chicago, Columbus... I'm going to throw Arizona on this, even though we're not sure where they're going to be playing next year or whether they're a team next year. I don't know what the equation is. Those teams, if they want to take on salary, call it a Bill Armstrong special, they're going to be, they're going to be able to command a price. Mm-hmm. And that's why this scenario, if you're making that deal, this scenario with Chicago is the best of a bad scenario. And it's yeah. not even that bad. The other ones, with deals with Yarmo Kekalainen and Armstrong, if they're looking to take on salary, I can guarantee you those will be... You have to add an asset. You have to add uh, a player, which the Canucks don't have right now of that caliber. And it's going to be something that you look back and you regret those deals. This one, if this is a, a tangible, real deal, this is actually the best of a, a, a not a great scenario. And I will say, I do agree that like the details matter here, right? Because it, Chicago has what, like four second round picks, right? So yep. obviously you want the highest of those available. And I think the contract going the other way does matter too. Now, everyone's saying, oh, you only do if it's OEL. That's not happening. It's not enough to move OEL. It's not enough to get Chicago to take him, and he has a full no move. So I think OEL completely out of this discussion. Like, of course you do that deal for OEL if it's on the table, but it's not happening. We do realize that, um, you know, Sportsnet now is available across the country, and GMs watch games. Yeah. The same games that we were watching of Oliver Ekman Larson not having mobility. Um, yeah. You know, Davidson was watching those exact same games as well. So. I don't see it. It's not. It's not happening. No. And like the, with the no move and everything, the discussion of okay, would it make sense for Garland, Besser, or Myers? I actually do think with Tyler Myers, like that's the one where the just wait argument holds the most weight sure. for me because then it's it's not like theoretical. Oh, maybe he'll rebuild his value. You can probably move Myers at the trade deadline. That's that's less than a year away at the trade deadline for some sort of return, right? And either way, even if you don't, even if that doesn't materialize, he's off your books next year when you have to pay Elias Pettersson, when you have to pay Philip Ronick. The guys that stand out to me as kind of the sweet spot are Garland and Besser. And if I'm just looking at those two players... I think I would rather move Besser in a deal like this than Connor Garland. One, 
because he makes more money and by a fairly significant margin, right? By like 6.6 compared to just under five. So that's a, like, once you talk about opening up 6.6 caps, that's a pretty healthy chunk. That's a couple of players or a couple of moves that you can make to help your team. So for me, Besser is kind of the sweet spot because he makes more. And I also am not, like, I just kind of think Connor Garland moves the needle at this point. So I get it. Okay, Myers wouldn't make sense in this type of trade. Just wait that one out. OEL, I don't think it's happening. But if you're getting the full freight of Brock Besser off your books, you're only moving down eight spots, and you're getting a second-round pick, that's a lot of value. That's a lot of value you're creating in one transaction in the offseason. It frees up options at the third-line center position, somebody who can play. And, you know, the Connor Garland arg- argument, I know there's going to be texts coming in saying, hey, yeah, you know, he was playing on the third line last year. Um, Brock Besser, who's the duo with Besser right now? And they, like, Garland like, was on the third line, but he was effective on the third line. He was driving the third line. He yeah, was, and was, they were productive offensively. But the question I have with Besser is, who's that duo now? Yeah. Where is where is that fit? And we saw Brock Besser elevated at certain points last year. But when did that usually come? When Andre Kuzmenko was being taught a lesson. When was Brock Besser elevated? Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, hey, Brock, you're doing great. We're going to put you with Elias Pettersson. It was, Kuzmenko, uh, we're not thrilled. Yeah, soft play along the boards, <laughs> yeah. or you didn't get the puck deep. You're going you're gonna to sit your rear end on the bench, and you're going to be taken off power play one, which is something that, looking forward to it, you don't want that from Kuzmenko. You, you know, he's a guy that's expected to have a big summer. He's expected to be better next year. So the question I have in the Garland versus Besser debate is, I could see a fit, a lower fit for Connor Garland. You get a, a responsible center playing down the middle, a guy that can probably give him around 35 mm-hmm. points, uh, kind of standard for that third-line center position, maybe allows him to have the puck more on his stick, which is what Garland wants. With Brock Besser, I don't, as of right now, see that duo, which is something that it used to be Elias Patterson, but right now, uh, you don't see it. And that's the thing. With Connor Garland, I'm not saying he's a perfect player. I'm not saying it's a value at his contract or anything like that or that you want a $5 million player on the third line. But just in terms of hockey, you know he can play a role for you, right? You get him out there on the third line, an offensively-oriented third line that plays against the weaker competition on the other team, and you know he can be productive. He can drive that line. I don't see a cl- an equally obvious role where you know Besser can have success, right? Higher ceiling as a player, sure, but he also costs more, and I think there's a lot more uncertainty about how exactly he's going to help you uh, on the ice next year. So, like to me, that's the guy you move in a deal like this. And the danger with any sort of deal like this, and we're going to talk about it if it happens for either of these players, is the likelihood it is, Jamie, that either Besser or Garland go somewhere else, and they light it up. And that's fine. Like, they're both good players. That can't be the the lens on how you view whether a trade for them is successful or not. The, the le- value you're getting is yeah. the cap space. If they go and have success somewhere else, that doesn't all of a sudden mean it was a mistake to trade them. But that's the fear that, as you know, a lot of Vancouverites yeah. live in to say, hey, the Cam Neely, it could happen all over again, right? Like, very different situation. Yeah. But as we know, the Tyler Toffoli. How'd that work out with Vertanen? Remember that? Yeah. Oh, no, it's going to be Cam Neely again if you trade him. I tried to skip over uh, that I don't, one. I don't think so. I, I don't think str- it is. I went straight to Toffoli on that one. But yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. But that's the fear, but you can't live in that fear because no. guess what happens when that that plays out? The actual value of that player on your roster diminishes, continues yeah. to diminish. So at some point, yet again, you got to go back to the risk element. You have to take a risk every now and then. Uh, we got to take a break. Uh, we will uh, get into this conversation more. Lots of good texts coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, up next, we will uh, shift our attention to the rest of the NHL. Shana Goldman of The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Randy Janda filling in for Thomas Strands today. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Live from the Kintech Studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, we will get into some of the text later in the show. Lots of reaction to the Canucks conversation from the first segment. But right now, joining us on the line to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs and some potential off-season action as well, uh, one of our favorites here on the show, Shana Goldman of The Athletic. Shana, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to the uh, the conference finals and you know the fact that they're both 3 nothing and Jamie Benn and all of that in a little bit. But uh, you had a really good piece up at The Athletic uh, yesterday, I believe, about the Connor Hellebuck potential trade market, right? An elite goalie on the uh, on the market and where he could go, which teams should be interested in the offseason. And, you know, I wanted to get into that a little bit and just kind of start with it seems like the trend is moving, not not exclusively because you still have your Vasilevskis and your Shesterkins, but the trend is moving a little bit away from kind of bringing in the high-paid superstar workhorse goalie. Given that environment around the NHL, how attractive is Connor Hellebuck as a trade piece for, for other teams? I still think he's a super attractive trade piece because, like, literally, elite goalies don't grow on trees, right? It, it's true. You You can't unless you develop a goaltender, you're probably not going to have a true number one. We look around the league at who the true number ones are, the Ottingers, Shesterkins, Sorokins, Vasilevskis, like you said. Those are players that were drafted and developed by their teams. These are not, you know, players you get in free agency because usually they're past their prime or you're giving a risky contract or anything else. And we really don't see a ton of trades with goaltenders, especially not in season because there's no time to adapt and adjust to a system. We see, you know, depth moves at most, or goalie claimed off waivers. So I think that when one does come around and one is available that we're going to see, you know, teams be interested, why wouldn't they be? You mentioned the rarity of these moves. Uh, when we think about a, a trade price, an acquisition price for a Connor Hellebuck, like, we don't see these moves at all. What would that price be? That's, that's going to be the biggest question of all. What is he worth? And it really is going to depend on the team. And it's going to depend on the contract situation, too. Is this you know, a team that gets him before the season and has him a full year to negotiate contracts? Are they negotiating contracts off the bat? Like, do they have the certainty that he's going to be a multi-term goalie? So we don't have much of a framework to go off of. And that's what's going to make this super interesting because we see with elite players all the time when they actually do get moved. It's not fully for what they're worth, but with this, we don't even have a gauge of what they should be worth. It's so different from any other deal that we've seen. Yeah, one of the interesting things, though, is um, there are a lot of teams that you, you can look at and think, okay, they would make a lot of sense as a team that needs some stability in the crease. And I mean, we've talked about this here in Vancouver when there was you know, a brief, will Thatcher Demko be traded discussion. Is there an obvious landing point that just kind of jumps out to you as like, okay, that is the spot that should be really aggressively pursuing Connor Hellebuck? I think the Devils are a team that should be really high up there. Um, I think the Sabres 
could be, but they're they're at a different place than the Devils. The Devils are further along. They're more in bona fide win now position, and we've seen goaltending be their undoing even this year when they had the average goaltending that they have begged for for so long. It still was what cost them in the end. So, you know, I think given Helmut's age and his range, we expect him to be elite. And it's really tough for goalies too. Like even aging curves, everything is off on goaltenders. We don't we don't understand the position. We don't know anything. Um, but what we do kind of know is that, you know, when he's 30, 31, 32, he should still be very good, but it's those later years that might get a little dicier. So I think that's something that's the drawback for a team like Buffalo versus New Jersey. If you want to capitalize on the moment, on the core that they have, and while everyone's in their prime, you need to work sooner than later. And that's why Helen Buck for, you know, three, four years makes a ton of sense for them. On the Sabres, they're one of the more exciting teams to watch this year. You know, offensively, very gifted, but we see that defensive zone coverage sometimes that's non-existent the fourth most uh, high danger chance has given up this year and the rest of those three teams above them were all cellar dwellers um, is it too much too soon to consider a move for a hellebuck or a goalie like that for the sabers right now yeah i don't know if that's the move i'd go for because say that they're not ready this year now you have connor hellebuck at age 31 right when the contract starts and that's just the starting point it just feels like his his window doesn't line up as well with theirs as it should as you could want it and I think if the idea when you think about like pushing back to the playoffs right what's the idea this year they were close to making it maybe next year they just make it as a wild card team maybe after that they start to be a playoff threat and then the following year is like contender status if they can play their cards right so I wonder if maybe that's enough time for Levi to develop or maybe you just go for you know, a nice option to back them up someone who can be serviceable as a 1D a little bit more than a backup versus going so splashy for a goalie right now. I don't think that's in the cards for them. But then again, they're really not limited to making one move. They have a good cap situation. They have a ton of prospects. They have draft picks. They're pretty creative, that front office. You know, they're, there's a lot of innovative thinkers there that we can give a ton of credit to who can be creative and figure out ways to address more than one position. So I don't want to count them out of anything. I just don't know if this is a deal to go for. And, you know, one of the interesting storylines of the playoffs uh, has been in net, which is really, you know, obviously Sergei Bobrovsky doing his thing at $10 million, but not, you know, locking down the starters role going into the playoffs. But if you look at Jake Ottinger, who had has really established himself as, you know, one of the top goalies in the NHL, played 62 games in the regular season, and you're potentially seeing some signs of fatigue, or at least he's not he's not playing up to his standards in the playoffs. Do you think that lesson, right, seeing him play over 60 games and then fade in the Stanley Cup playoffs will accelerate the trend more to teams really making sure they manage their workload for their number one goalie in the regular season? That's one takeaway you can get from it. It's not the takeaway I aim for. I think a goalie can play the starting workload that Ottinger had. It wasn't at the heights of, say, Soros or last year with Helen Buck and Soros and uh, Jacob Markstrom. I think with Markstrom, a goalie in his 30s, managing his workload is a little bit more important. I think for Ottinger, I wonder how much it's that he's not used to playing that kind of workload. Like, we, he's never played that many games. It was the first year he would be true starter from start to finish, which wasn't the case last year. So I wonder if that's a factor in that at all for him. If it's the fatigue because he's just not acclimated to this and the adjustment because we saw him strong in round one. We saw him fade after that. I think in his last 10 starts, he has one quality start and that's it. And it was game seven against Seattle, which as good as he was, and that's a high pressure moment, it's not like he was tested as much. And it feels like the second he's tested, he is struggling. Even if it's slightly below average, it's not what we expect from him. So I wonder if this year is a stepping stone to being 
you know, acclimated to a 60-game regular season and then, you know, so far a 16-game postseason with, you know, potentially one or more games to go, uh, I think that might be it. I think we saw that with Chester in a bit last year, too, and Soroka, too. Like, they have to adjust to their workload if they've never played like this. And an alternative uh, talking point when it comes to goalies is a true platoon in the playoffs. And I know a lot of folks have said, hey, this is not going to happen, where uh, maybe you're alternating and some goalie guys have said, hey, why not? But is that something that we could see? Because part of this is Ottinger being maybe fatigued, maybe that, you know, uh, early in his career, he's not used to that type of workload. But is platooning... Uh, for the sake of just having a, a fresh goalie, kind of like what Carolina did after that marathon game. Is that something we could see in the future if it uh, you know, amounts or accounts for a, a better chance at winning a, a series? I think if we saw someone like Marc-Andre Fleury thrive after he was in Game 2 for yeah. Minnesota, maybe. If Antirantha thrived this time, maybe. For the Canes, it's different. Like That's a team that can get by with average goaltending. They don't need much else because they have the, the foundation in front of them, a strong defense, an aggressive forecheck. They have all the pieces that goaltending is kind of like the last one for them. And their goaltending, they know they have three options to rotate in. So for them, the switching goal kind of works. But for everybody else, no matter how you did the regular season, having a true number one or having a 1A, 1B, or a complete and total split, every single year that a team goes into the playoffs, there is a true starter once the postseason starts. And the only time you see that change is if there's an injury or a really poor performance, which might be a goalie taking over and then getting the next start or just taking over and then the starter gets the reins back the next game. We don't see that rotation. This is the first year we're really seeing that happen in multiple series between Flair and Gustafson and the same with Anderson and Ranta and Klachekov. Do I think that's the way it's going to go moving forward? I think if you go into the playoffs with the team like Carolina where you have the foundation and you have, I don't want to call it a weaker goalie core because they have three solid options, but that's what it is. It's a, it's a true rotation. Maybe we see a little bit more, but I don't see other teams doing that. Gustafson should have been the starter start to finish. He was good enough to be that. I think he's going to be the starter start to finish unless he gets pulled from a game. I don't think we're just going to see a little bit more rotating for the sake of rotating. Talking to Shana Goldman of The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. So, I mean, Shana, I picked both of these series to go seven games. Uh, I'm, I'm extremely disappointed <laughs> yeah, so, so far. And I want to start with the Dallas-Vegas one. Like, what on earth was that performance from Dallas last night in a chance to get back in the series at home? They lay a complete egg. Like, why has Vegas been so dominant in that series? Yeah, you know, it's disappointing for all of us. I don't care who you root for. It felt Seriously. like if – after round two, we had all those, you know, blowouts, and then round three starts, and we get overtime games. And then even when the Panthers game, game three, wasn't an overtime game, it was fine. It's a one-goal game. Like, we're getting these tight games, and then last night just absolutely blows it up. For Dallas, the thing is, they were the worst team in game one. They didn't deserve to win. They were not good at 5-on-5. Five five. They were not good on special teams, as they could be, and the goaltending wasn't there. Game two, they were the better team the majority of the time, and Vegas bookended it with a strong start and a strong finish. But that's the way it works. If you can't play a full 60-minute game and you allow that, you know, that strong start or strong finish, it's going to burn you. And it did, especially when your goaltending isn't perfect. Last night, though, was just an absolute disaster for Dallas where there should have been urgency. The, the Golden Knights had it. You're up to nothing in the series on the road. You know, you don't expect as much jump out of a team like that. You expect the Stars to try to grab the momentum back, and it just all fell apart. The early goal by March so was crushing. The Jamie Benn penalty was just, I think, absolutely crushing to take the major 
and have to kill it off for five minutes, and they get through four minutes of it, to lose your captain and have to jumble up the line, then to lose uh, the down-off injury. Like, everything just fell apart, and then the goaltending was bad on top of it. So it just feels like they they haven't seized the moment in the series once. They did it in game two when they were the better team, and now here they are the worst team. They couldn't seize the moment and try to stop the bleeding. It just fell apart. Yeah, the act itself was shocking from Jamie Benn, and then he had the explanation today about the landing point, apparently, was uh, was what he was focusing on during that play with Mark Stone. But you know, going to the Vegas Golden Knights, though, uh, this team, and you could pick it up during the regular season where it felt like even though they could maybe put their foot on the gas pedal and, and really power through teams, they were, you know, using their energy when they needed to. There was a very calculated approach to how they play this season, and we're seeing it here in the playoffs as well. The personality of this Golden Knights team and the way they play has taken that of Bruce Cassidy. And and we kind of see that here in the playoffs too, where, you know, if you look at the underlying numbers, uh, they do what they need to, and they just kind of manage the game perfectly, don't they? If you can afford to do that, go ahead. And it's a risky strategy too, right? Like, you know, I think I'm the first person to yell about the defensive shell and how that's playing passive hockey. You're not pushing back. If you're just playing defense, you're making it easier on your opponent instead of forcing them to play defense, figure out a way to transition to offense, and then start playing offensively. Like, there's a huge difference between that. But with this game, it was out of hand after the first period. When you have a lead like that, you can sit back a little bit. You know, you can conserve your energy just a bit and, and let it ride. It hasn't been the case in every single game, but it, it was really interesting to see last night. You know, it was midway through the third period. It's like, they have only had five shots since the first period. And I, I think the desperation in Dallas – you know, was up a notch to block shots and things like that, which is, you know, the reactionary play. But it just feels like Vegas is really good at managing two-way play. And I think Bruce Cassidy is someone, he seems to have a positive influence on a lot of two-way players. You know, you look at Bergeron, who doesn't need anybody to do anything for him. But, you know, even guys like Charlie Coyle, I think, picks it up um, under him a bit in Boston. And now you go to Vegas and you see William Carlson playing to his ceiling again. You know, that true two-way center role in Mark Stone even though he's not perfectly healthy. So um, I think that they, they're a team that they have the depth to handle playing that that way. And I think that they also know when to pick it back up when they're the worst team when we saw them in game two. They weren't the better team, and they knew at the right moment when to rise to the occasion, and somehow it works for them. Uh, just before we let you go, Shayna, Florida Panthers with a chance to close out the Hurricanes. I mean, this series obviously has been close, right? It was all one-goal games or overtime games but like what is there anything that Carolina can do differently to try to 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 maximize their chances of the miracle comeback I mean I'm rooting for that right because this was such a good series I don't want as as exciting as it is for the Panthers I'm all about their run right now I I think it's absolutely fantastic how they are a team that made it to the playoffs and made all this happen I want this series to go longer because quality of hockey is fun to watch so for the Canes the key I think is going to be finishing the chances it's what it all comes down to, and it's a very Carolina problem. It's been a Carolina problem for years. And, you know, going into the playoffs, we kind of knew this might be an issue considering special cost injury and the fact that they tried to address with Pacioretty and he's not there. But here they are getting healthier. We're all kind of, like, giving them this opening. They have to find a way to beat Bobrovsky. They have to target his weaknesses a little bit better and maybe start shooting a bit higher, like high blocker, and see if they can, they can stop him because, you know, his playing style is so good down low. I want to see them start elevating their chances a little bit more and see if that can work out and, and try to pressure for rebounds a little bit more too. I think 
the fatigue factor is something we know to be a problem with Bobrovsky his entire career. And, you know, between series, he got the rest. Before the playoffs started, he got the rest. But if they can just keep testing him, you would think at a certain point the dam is going to break. But who knows? He's proving us wrong this entire time. So everything I'm saying could be completely wrong in a couple hours. Yeah, who knows? Uh, listen, all I'll say is that I hope that as a makeup for the lackluster second round in conference finals that we get a gangbuster Stanley Cup finals out of this. That's that's my one hope. Uh, Shana, Shana, always really appreciate the time. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. That is Shana Goldman, uh, writer at The Athletic and also here on the Too Many Men podcast and uh i did want to get into you know we were talking to her about the connor hellebuck trade market and also just kind of how workhorse goalies and goalie load management is viewed generally and i do think it's a really interesting conversation uh around jake ottinger right now as the last kind of obvious number one with a bullet workhorse goalie left in the playoffs and you start to think about how things are going to shake out for the canucks behind thatcher demko and we all hope that you know, Demko's put the injury problems behind him, and he is normal Thatcher Demko. But, you know, similar to Jake Ottinger, like, Demko hasn't doesn't have a long track record of playing a significant workload at a high level, right? So I think the Canucks have to be very, very concerned and very focused on, okay, like, we're not playing this guy more than 55 games. Like, we have a hard limit, and we are going to stick to it, and we have to figure out a way to get, you know, 27 games from our backups that we feel confident in behind Thatcher Demko. And the key with that is having a capable backup. And in the lead up to last season, I remember having a conversation on air with Ian Clark and he gave a, a range. Essentially the range for Thatcher Demko was 60 to 62 games, right? And you needed Spencer Martin to fill in that gap. The problem is, that plan you know, failed miserably because of the injury. And mm-hmm. Spencer Martin, rather than working on his game, was, was thro- thrown into. In. He was yeah. just thrown into the, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again. He wasn't thrown into the deep and he was thrown into the Pacific Ocean. Like, straight up. It was like the worst environment a goalie could ask for. Absolutely. Like, just chaos in front of him. All of a sudden, you know, you're asked to be the starter out of nowhere. Like, it was brutal, brutal situation. So it's a tough spot for Spencer Martin and for everybody that was, you know, saying, hey, this guy can't stop the puck right now, which was true, but... That environment was not good. Now, this is a challenge to Spencer Martin to say, come back for training camp and continue that work. Be that much better where you're going to be needed to play those 25 games or whatever it may be. But I don't think the Canucks are in a situation where that's the plan. You have to have a Colin Delia-like player on the ready. Mm. You have to make sure that whoever that is, and you can go through the list of names you know, Aiden Hill would have probably been on my list a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. That's, nope. He's not going to. That's gonna, out. That's out. Yeah, you can't afford him anymore. Um, another name that probably would have been on my list prior to an injury was Laurent Brassois. Who knows where he's at right now with what's going on in Vegas. So the list isn't a great one, but you're going to need somebody to eat those games because, Jamie, yeah, you can't have that situation where when your backups is not able to play at the NHL level and give you those games you need. Right? Oh, I'm not even talking about an injury. I'm talking about can you play those backup games? Can you give you know that sort of effort? And that's a lot of pressure on Spencer Martin. But that's that's the life he chose, right? If you want to be an NHL backup, you got to make sure your game is there. So it is going to be a big issue for this team. If there is a player like Colin Delia was on a, a league minimum salary sure. last year, right? So okay, if you can find that, and it's someone Ian Clark identifies, right? And you and you think, okay, this gives us a little extra depth, somebody who can at least compete for the backup spot. That's fine. I just look at it, and yeah, okay, look, we all know how Spencer Martin struggled last year, although he did play better down the stretch in Abbotsford. 
his contract's just so cheap, right? It's just a ha- 762000 a year, right? League minimum, 750000 So you're basically getting him for league minimum with their salary cap situation. And we all know what it is. We've spent a lot of time talking about it. I don't think you can afford to spend much more than that on your goaltending position. Like, you can't go out and spend, I don't even think, like $1.5 million on a potential veteran backup goalie. So if there are options kind of below that threshold that are kind of, you know, on the AHL, NHL border, and for whatever reason, Ian Clark thinks you can get legit performances out of them, okay, that's fine. Bring in a little depth, bring in a little competition. But, I mean, I think we're probably looking at a, you know, Spencer Martin breaks camp as the backup, and then you, you know, obviously the other part of this we're not talking about is the Archer Silovs part. And sure. you're not going to make him the backup, right? Like, he needs to play. He needs to get that experience of being the no-doubt-about-it starter in Abbotsford and play a good chunk of their games. But, okay, maybe you don't want Spencer Martin to play 25 games for you or 27, but can he play 18 and Archer Silovs makes up the rest, whether it's during injury or whether it's just in spots on the schedule where you can call him up? I think you're going to have to get creative because there there's no there's no extra wiggle room in the cap to even spend a little bit on on bringing in some of that veteran help for a goalie. Well, that's the benefit of having Abbotsford just you know down Highway One, right? Where you yep. could have him play in Abbotsford, you can have him play in Vancouver. You still have that flexibility with Archer Silovs. But the point being, yeah, if there's an injury, you break that glass in case it's going to be Silovs, right? Yeah, it's, it's not Spencer Martin. No, you're it, not doing that again. For sure. Yeah. And if there's a long stretch of games, and we saw with Seelovs that the second year, the sophomore year, there's more of a book on you. But the fact is, he's a special talent. And if there's an extended run, he's likely going to get that. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, the meantime, this is going to be an onus on Spencer Martin to occupy that spot. And every year, there's AHL goalies, those kind of fringe goalies that yep. are AHL slash NHL goalies. Another name that I remember seeing on the free agent list last year was Phoenix Copley. He was a UFA. Mm-hmm. LA picks him up, and a part of the reason their sa- uh, season was saved was because he was making saves. And we saw what happened with Jonathan Quick. We saw what happened with Cal Peterson. So there are guys that hang around a little bit that you might be able to get in that range that could give you something for a million bucks, maybe slightly less. But, you know, I think there's a couple of ways to approach this. You can't spend money, and you hope that Thatcher Demko has a healthy season. If he doesn't, you got a guy ready to go in Abbotsford. But, and part of keeping him healthy is healthy is managing his workload. Absolutely. Right? So you're not running him out there for you know 13 out of 14 games because you're desperate to make up points in the standings. That's a big part of this, too. Get off to a good start, and I think also improve the environment in front of the goalie so that, okay, if Spencer Martin does have to play three or four in a row, you're not throwing him to the wolves, right? Like, yeah. have that structure, have that defensive responsibility that a backup can actually perform behind or you're not changing your game so drastically like the first time Spencer Martin was playing remember he had an unbelievable record he had an unbelievable save percentage but the Canucks played visibly different when he was playing Mm -hmm. which is you can only do that for so long so if that does you know change over time where you need him for a 10-15 game stretch maybe there's an injury that Demko deals with are you still playing your style of game are you still playing that style that the team needs to play where this is not two or three years ago where all of a sudden you just collapse and you don't have any offensive bite whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You're just denying the middle of the ice and you're not having any sort of offense. No, you're going to have to play your style of game. So I think this onus is on the organization management to find the right person, but you got to have that veteran alongside Spencer Martin and Spencer Martin's a veteran himself. Look at that age, right? He's been around for a bit, maybe not at the NHL. So this is going to be onus on, on, the backup to also elevate their game and and take that job. And remember, I mean, they liked him enough to give him a two-year deal, right? Now, obviously, 
stuff happens and his performance last year at the NHL level, it changes your evaluation. But they saw something there. And I think it's at least worth making him a part of your plans. Yeah, you need to have a backup option to the backup, right? Yeah. You need to have a plan B. Yes, you probably do. But I do see a world in where it's Spencer Martin can play an important role uh, for the Canucks in the crease next year. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Matt Rose from our sister station in Calgary. Uh, the Calgary Flames hiring Craig Conroy as their new GM, also adding our buddy Dave Nonis to the front office. So we'll talk to Matt Rose about that, uh, a little a little bit what else is uh, going on in Calgary. More Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd with Randy Janda filling in for Thomas Drance today. Canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintech.net, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I will say, you know, the conference finals have not been necessarily that compelling. Some of the games, but, you know, 3 nothing in each series. That's not great. Nope. At least there's been a fair amount of off-ice stuff happening, right? Like with, you know, obviously the Leafs and Kyle Dubas and where, what are they going to do? You know, Pittsburgh's hiring a new GM. Yep. Uh, and yesterday, division rival of the Vancouver Canucks uh, hired their new general manager, Craig Conroy, now leading the Flames Hockey Ops Department. And uh, to talk about that, what it means for the Flames going forward, he hosts the morning show uh, on our sister station, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. He is Matt Rose joining us now on the phone line. Matt, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And so, uh, so Craig Conroy. I mean, what 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 was your reaction? What does this mean going forward for uh, for the Calgary Flames? I think that uh, a lot of people in the city are pretty excited about Craig Conroy joining the team. Like, this is a guy that I think when a lot of people think back to 2004, he was a big part of that. And really, ever since he joined the organization, when Jay Feaster was the interim GM, has kind of been around and continued to be a, a fan favorite. So I think the initial reaction around the city was really positive. I think there's a lot of people that just kind of been around the team that are excited about this as well. And it's going to be different for sure. Um, Craig has always been always gracious with his time, uh, always walk around with a smile, uh, sometimes can maybe share a little bit too much, which I think we're really excited about in the media as well. Um, and just seeing what he does with the team. Like if you saw his opening press conference, he talked about adding more youth. He talked about kind of his visions for a head coach, what he's got to do with all these UFAs. So now the summer of Craig Conroy begins. Last year we thought that was going to be kind of one of the wilder off seasons for the Flames, and uh, this one's kind of looking like a hold my beer type of situation. Well, you mentioned the honesty, and I think one of the telling uh, quotes from that press conference was the Johnny Goudreau and, 
you know, if that happened again, uh, wouldn't want it to play out that way. It was a learning experience for Craig Conroy. Were you surprised to, to hear that uh, comment? It happened last summer, and this is a guy that's, you know, at his introductory press conference and, and essentially was asked that question about the impending UFAs, and, and he, he divulged that even, uh, which was a big, obviously a big story in your city. Yeah, it was. Like, the question itself was kind of framed around the two big players who had left the season before, and, and that was kind of a prime example of some of the, just the, the honesty that you're going to get from Craig Conroy, the transparency. And I, I, I was surprised, sitting in the room myself, that he kind of went as far down that road. But at the same time, I think it was refreshing, if you're someone who cheers for the team, to kind of hear how his look at that was, the way he talked about just kind of closing the door in his office and having a good long sit and thinking about what had just occurred. And, you know, he's going to be a first-time general manager, but to be around something as big as that as an assistant general manager, like that type of experience is going to be so big. And then he'll be able to lean on a guy like Dave Nonis to an extent in, in these type of negotiations, but for him to be a part of that, he was a part of Johnny Gaudreau's last contract negotiations, the one that he did sign before that, too. So this is a guy who's kind of had his hand on everything. He was really transparent about it, but at the same time, I think he said a lot of things that a lot of people already knew. And in that sense, it was really refreshing to just hear him kind of put it all on the table as a lot of people kind of understood it. What's the mandate going to be for Craig Conroy in kind of the immediate and the medium term future in Calgary? Because, I mean, you know, obviously last year was very, very frustrating for the Flames. But as much as there are big decisions on the horizon with a bunch of UFAs, there's also lots of veteran talent and players still in their prime on that team. What are the kind of immediate goals and immediate expectations from ownership for Conroy? I think that right now it's going to be kind of canvassing the players that they have to make some immediate decisions on. It's pretty well known these guys have seven unrestricted free agents at the end of the 23-24 season. Among them, players like Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli, Noah Hannafin, uh, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, and Oliver Shillington. These decisions have to be made sooner rather than later. And it goes back to what we were talking about with Johnny Gaudreau. Craig Conroy wants to avoid that situation with all these players where asset management is going to be key. You can't lose guys for nothing in today's NHL, especially with how much emphasis Craig has on the draft and how important it is to build your team that way. Not even just the top guys, but all the way through the draft. So I think that right now it's going to be amateur scouting meetings, getting prepared for the draft at the end of the month where they'll pick 16th overall. They have five of their seven picks. They, I wouldn't be surprised if after they sign on their head coach, they canvass these seven players and see, hey, these are the changes we've made. How do you feel about returning? How do you feel about signing a contract? And if there is no movement in a positive direction, I think that there has to be a certain amount of, you know, look around the NHL, have some conversations, and see if you can try and get yourself a little bit more draft capital. Because this 2023 draft, especially those first kind of 60, 65 picks are looked at as players that are going to be able to help your NHL team and help them sooner rather than later. So I think that that's the biggest thing. That's the mandate. It's going to either be win now if these players decide that, yes, with the changes made, I want to sign, and it's not going to be, you know, some preposterous contract to get them to stay in Canada. And if not, 
you have to look at what the other options are, whether that's trading them. Well, that's kind of your only option. That's kind of what Craig laid out yesterday. He doesn't want guys to just leave for nothing. So that's going to be the mandate moving forward. Check in with all these UFAs and see how everyone's doing. Well, you mentioned the coach search as well, where, you know, we heard that they interviewed upwards of 35 individuals for the GM job. Uh, when it comes to the mm-hmm. coach job, we've heard three members of the organization linked to that job, whether it's Kirk Muller, Ryan Huska, obviously Mitch Love, who's done an excellent job at the AHL level. Do you expect it to be an extensive, extensive search like the GM uh, position, or is this more likely uh, to be an internal hire? Well, we've heard a lot of names kind of thrown around by all the insiders that we all trust. Elliot Friedman mentioned guys like Peter Laviolette, Travis Green. You guys would know well. Um, there's a couple of other names that he mentioned in his story as well. But those are the guys that are outside that I I think that they're going to have a conversation and there's going to be guys that Craig is going to hear out and listen to what they have to say. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you've got – a guy who, in the AHL, Mitch Love has won Coach of the Year back-to-back seasons. Yes, the team hasn't you know, been able to make it to the Calder Cup final, but at the same time, he's done a really excellent job with that group, and he would know a lot of those young players that Craig is talking about inserted into this lineup moving forward. So he's an excellent, excellent option. Ryan Huska has been biding his time on that bench. I think he is a large reason why the penalty kill is as strong as it was last year and and really since he's kind of been a part of managing that defense. And and we've seen the growth in players like Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin and Nikita Zadorov, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And and this is a guy who's won as well. As a player, won a Memorial Cup. As a head coach, won a Memorial Cup, was a very strong coach in the AHL too. So those are a couple of great options. Kirk Muller has a ton of experience. Uh, and has been behind this bench, he would have that familiarity. I, I think those are the top three candidates, especially since Craig Conroy is now the general manager of the team. But you never know. If someone comes in and, and really kind of knocks the doors off, that would be interesting. And then the X factor here is the Alex Tangate chatter that we've mm. kind of heard over the last little week here. And, and I think that's an interesting wrinkle. He's been an assistant coach in Detroit for the last little bit and obviously would know Craig Conroy and – Jerome McGinley and Marty Jelena and all these types of guys that have been around the Flames organization for quite some time. So, I mean, whether it's the coaching decision or any player personnel moves, you know, for lack of a better word, I mean, how important is it going to be just for the Flames to to change the vibes and improve the vibes mm-hmm. after what transpired last season? It's, it's going to be important, and Craig has talked about it being important to him. He's he said the word fun like way more than we had ever heard Daryl Sutter say <laughs> in his entire tenure here. He said it more in, in one like 25-minute presser, and I think that's important. And I think that's really important nowadays as well. And Things have shifted. You've got new players in here, and I just think that yesterday, no matter where you heard it from, it sounded like there was some sort of conflict in there between the coach and the players or like whatever it ended up being. And it just sounded like it wasn't a fun place to be. And listen, it doesn't have to be sunshine and rainbows all the time, but you can't hate going to work because then you're not going to be able to perform your job at a level that is appropriate, especially when you're talking about high profile professions like being an NHL player. So I think that it's going to be a a big kind of shift here is bringing in somebody who, you know, keeps things professional, obviously, 
but also has uh, a level of approachability and can kind of set that culture that this is a place that you want to be. Because frankly, lately, this hasn't been a place that you want to be. They didn't get any notable college free agents. Their two most prominent offensive players of the last decade just walked out the door last offseason. And now with this past week and getting Craig into this position, I just think that it's huge for changing the tone and, and just the way this city is looking. And frankly, sidebar, the arena news is also kind of mm. big for everybody and, and creating fun. That That's a good vibe because we love the saddle dome, but it's a little creaky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not sure the players love the saddle dome necessarily, so that's probably important going that's forward. That's probably fair. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> just before, just before we, uh, we let you go, Matt, you know, Obviously, there's the UFAs that are going to be up after this year, and I know Conroy mentioned, hey, maybe they'd like to make some changes to the core. Is it just going to be a matter of kind of, as you say, sussing it out and figuring out who maybe doesn't want to stay, or are there any other op- Like, Do you see a logical candidate of a player who played a significant role to potentially be on the move this offseason? Uh, sorry, I just missed that last part of your question. Like, do you, you know, I, I know Conroy mentioned about potentially trading the core. Is there a you know, a, a player who was in a key role last year that you think is kind of a logical candidate to move this summer? Well, like all the UFAs, especially the forwards, to fully back when the Lindholm, they're all key guys. Um, if you're talking about guys who have a little bit more term, frankly, this isn't a team that has a lot of guys that have term. You know, you got Huberto, you got Cogri, both with no moves, both with solid contracts, both coming off down here. So I don't think they're going anywhere. Andrew Monchifani is interesting, but it, 5.8 for the next year and if you can get other guys to stay he's a valuable piece in your middle six I think they like Blake Coleman a lot for what he brings as far as that professionalism that workhorse attitude and he's one of those guys that's like a Yanni Gord right um, like a Brett Howden someone that when you get deep into the playoffs then you start to really notice this guy and he brings it every single game so he's an interesting guy but I wouldn't expect him to be on the move you get to the defense there's Mackenzie Weger. Uh, obviously, there was the Ottawa rumors during the season. I don't see it. Rasmus Anderson is the other guy. I can see him being the future captain if things don't work out with Michael Backlund. So I don't see that. And then you get to the goaltenders, which is probably where I would look. Jacob Markstrom, I personally think the contract is unmovable, and I wouldn't move him anyways. But you have to make a decision on how you're getting Dustin Wolves more NHL playing time. And I think that makes Dan Vladar's future in Calgary uncertain. Uh, as a guy who signed a, a two-year extension, he's going to get 2.2 for the next two seasons. 25 years old, has shown some really good play at times, has never really gotten a good chance to carry the mail, though. So he would kind of be the one guy. It's not the most prominent role, per se, but if you're talking about guys that have more time on their contract, it's definitely Dan Vladar as a guy that um, I wonder about as we approach the draft. I don't think you're going to get the value back that you traded for him, you sent a third-round pick to Boston to bring him in. Um, but I think that's a decision that might be on the horizon for the Flames. Matt, should be an interesting summer. Uh, we appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, guys. A lot of fun. Take care. Our pleasure. That is uh, Matt Rose, host of the morning show for our uh, sister station, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, talking Flames after they made the Craig Conroy hire official yesterday. And, you know, we didn't really get into it there with Matt, but one of the interesting things that's kind of come out about the Flames. We talked about it a little bit, right? With the need to just change the vibes, change the atmosphere. You, you, you start to hear that they really 
the players did not like not having a captain last year, right? Yep. And that there's a big desire to change that, whether it's whether it's Backlund, whether it's Rasmus Anderson, whoever, just like, okay, it's great. We have a lot of veteran players, right? We have a leadership group, but last year we kind of needed the guy who was wearing the C and who was doing that job. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, what you heard coming out of that locker room was that Milan Lucic did a lot of that in terms of right. rallying the troops and getting them ready or holding people accountable, but he wasn't the captain. No, and and he's a a role player. Yeah, exactly. Right? He's not a key player. He was a Daryl Sutter guy, and yeah. therefore elevated in that lineup whenever they needed something. But we know where Milan is. Local guy. We know where his career is headed. He's playing at the World yep. Championships right now. But who in that top six? Who in that top four? Whether it's Rasmus Anderson, whether it's you know, they wanted somebody to look toward and say, "All right, we need a message here." And that is so contrary to some of the things that we've heard over the years, where. It takes a group of six or seven mm-hmm. guys. But when ish hits the fan, you sometimes need that well, one person and, to look towards. Yeah, right? and both things can be true, right? That it, it no captain is going to do it alone. If you're relying solely on the captain to kind of set the culture and be the leader sure. of the locker room, that's not going to work out. But it still makes sense to have, like, the point guy. You know of what course, I mean? The and, guy who's going to talk to the coach, who's going to talk to the GM about issues that come up. Talk to the media as well, yeah. which is something that I think – here in Vancouver, we pay attention to because Bo Horvat did that for a while. But in a locker room, you know, ask the Dallas Stars where their yeah. captain yesterday makes a boneheaded, selfish play, and instead of him speaking to the media, they gotta they gotta stand up there and do it. Yeah. First of all, it's his fault, and second of all, it's your job as the captain to do that more often than not. That is something that players care about. Players want somebody to be like, all right, hey, I'll speak when I need to, but if the team is struggling. Or if there's somebody that needs to stand up in the room behind the scenes or in front of the cameras, having that point person is important. So Calgary in a veteran group and Craig Conroy, who played a number of years in the NHL himself, and one of the main takeaways from that press conference yesterday was there will be a captain next yeah. year. There will be a captain. Tells you something. It's interesting also to think about, of course, in terms of the Canucks, who do not currently have a captain and wondering, will they name one going in to next season? And, you know, look, teams go a year without a captain all the time, right? I don't think it's necessarily the biggest deal. But when you start to look at the Canucks situation, I don't, I don't really see a reason not to name a captain. Right? Like, you have two potential mm-hmm. candidates in Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, and to me, those are the two potential candidates, right? I don't think, like, JT Miller, that's a non-starter for me. It's it's Elias Pettersson or it's Quinn Hughes. And the thing is, like, those guys are still both young. Man, tried out for the U.S. Open, he still can't score points with Jamie Dodd? Come on, man. Hey, man, I'm not saying anything about him as a player or a person. It's just he's not a he's not a legit candidate for captain for me. All right? That's was, all I'm saying. It was a six-over that did it for you, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, was, he really fell apart in the back nine. It's not captain material. <laughs> no. No, no. He did great. Um... Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, they're both young, but they're not that young. Like, Quinn Hughes, it's going to be his fifth year in the NHL next year. Elias Pettersson is going to be his sixth full season in the NHL. You know, these guys are they are in their primes now. They did a lot of the work to step up and kind of take on more of that leadership role. And is it is it, like, a disaster if they don't name a captain for next year? No, I don't think so. But I look at it, and then are they going to get more ready? You know what I mean? Like, you have them on hand. Quinn Hughes is locked up. We'll see what happens with Elias Pettersson's. Uh, contract, but if you think one of those guys are, are the right choice, I mean, there's no reason not to do it, and there's no reason not to go in with, okay, yeah, again, to next season, you're trying to build that leadership group, but you can also start the process of like designating the one guy who's going to lead that group. I feel like this time with the conversation, the rhetoric we've heard from the team, from the coach specifically, where heading into this offseason, 
leaning on three players specifically to take the lead when it comes to, you know, workouts, to get the group together. Mm-hmm. And I know Talkit has mentioned how big of a, of a summer this is going to be. Right? Yes, numerous repeat times. Ad nauseum. <laughs> but I think from that perspective, if you are one of those three leaders, and I'm gonna I'm gonna include JT Miller in the conversation. I'm not for saying now. he can't be a leader. For he's sure. just not gonna be the captain. But he's got to be a leader if he's here. For sure, it has to be. In a lot of ways, since Talkit has come to Vancouver, he's really given these guys a, more of a voice, mm-hmm. especially Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson. So to me, I think this is about all right. You know, we've all Everybody's had comments about the commercials and all whatever, but building those habits, building that accountability within the team, mm-hmm. it's one thing to say it. Can you practice it? And Quinn Hughes did a great job. Elias Pettersson did a great job, even though it didn't really mean much in terms of the team's ultimate success. But they were showing something this past year that once Bo Horvat was traded, they could fill that void. And with Elias Pettersson, you could pick it up at the All-Star break. Being down there in Florida, the way that he right. was handling media, you could tell there was a, all right, um, I'm one of the, the main guys now, uh, especially especially since there's been some movement. So I think this offseason is going to be a, a continuation of that. You don't necessarily need to name a captain for this season, but you're going to send a message if you're one of those two players. And I, I, I just, think I'm okay with that. Doesn't like, it, like, wouldn't it kind of... Wouldn't it strike you as odd if they don't name one of them captain? Like, to me, it would suggest that they have questions still about their those guys' ability to do the job. It wouldn't strike me as odd in the sense that, you know, when we talk about a player being ready for that moment, you don't want a captain just for the sake of being a captain. No, like I, agree Quinn Hughes, Quinn, I agree with Quinn that. Quinn Hughes has got it, and I think Quinn has it in him. I, yes. I remember the press conference that, you know, Brock Besser was extremely emotional at, not last year, but the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, understandably so. And the way that Quinn handled that, really, off the ice, is we see what he can do on the ice, but you could see there's a real genuine care of, hey, my teammate is going through something and, you know, the question's going to stop and we need to take a, a moment here. Uh, you could pick up that leadership even off the ice with Quinn Hughes. So I agree with you, but you don't just name one because the Calgary Flames are going to do one. You got to make sure that guy's no, no, ready. No, no, no. You got to make but sure I, that guy's what ready. What I mean is, like, if you have an option at hand. Sure. Why wait, right? It's one thing if they're 19 and you're like, okay, we don't want to thrust them into the spotlight too soon. Like, give them a chance to get acclimated to the league. These guys are acclimated. Nico they know Heischer's what they're doing. A captain. They're, yeah. like, there's guys across the league that are about the same age. These are, these are top yeah. players at their position. If they're not ready now, like, what are you waiting for exactly? If they're ready, you make that move. Yeah. If they're ready. And I don't, like, you know. I mean, and if you don't think they're ready, like, that's, to me, that's... That raises a whole bunch of other questions. Um, This one uh, says, uh, hey, boys, the future Canucks captain is Leo Carlson. Well, I mean, we're talking about trading down. I don't know if they're going to be trading up to get Leo Carlson right, and slapping the C right on him right away. Can we get one of the uh, prospect guys on to talk about uh, Captain Material? Captain at, C? Captain Material at number 19? At Who pick, you got? At pick 19? Who's there? There's got to be some, like, point-per-game center in the OHL who's, like, the captain on his team who's like, oh, he doesn't excite you, but he's pretty good at everything, and hey, he's a great leader. You can, you can absolutely is get that, that guy at 19. Is that how you say Bo Horvat without saying Bo Horvat? <laughs> hey, is that, you, is you that what you were, is that <laughs> what you were saying? I mean, you, you, don't, you don't think there's that type of – I guarantee you that player exists in this draft because they exist in every draft. Of course. You can always pick that player, either the OHL or the WHL, you know, 65 points in 68 games – Plays in all situations. Coaches love him. Not high-end skill, but, you know, give you a good, solid third-line center at least. I'm going to look this up in the break. The Cole Castle of this year's draft. Who is he? <laughs> oh, higher ceiling than that. Higher right. ceiling than that. Uh, this one comes in as well. Giving a C is so pointless. Fix your house before doing that. I don't know. You can be a, 
Like, I don't think it's pointless. It's a vote of confidence, first of all, in the player. It's a recognition of their leadership skills. Like, do we make a bigger deal of it than it is? Sure. But I don't think it's pointless. I don't think it doesn't matter at all. What is the foundation of said house? It's Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Thatcher Demko. Yeah. Right? And if you name one of them, please not Demko. We've been down that road before. The same guy just texted in, give the seat to no, Demko. No, no. All right? We're not, we're not going down that road. Please. However... If you are confident in your foundation, there's nothing wrong with that. They did in Florida. Remember, Derek McKenzie was the captain there for mm-hmm. a while, and eventually they said, all right, we're going to move this thing down the road, and Sasha Barkov became the captain, and that's all right. You, you got to make sure when these guys start making more money and they start having more responsibility and take more accountability, it's one of those things you can do as long as they're ready. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, this one comes in... Uh from Glenn in Richmond, uh, does giving PD to C give him more leverage in contract negotiations? Wait till after. Yeah, no, you're only doing it with Pedersen if you get that long-term deal done, right? And then it's like it's part of the negotiations at that point. Hey, would you be interested in being captain? Is that something you want? Is that something you don't care about? But yes, you obviously do it. Uh, you obviously do it after you get him signed. What's the to that big what's deal. the captaincy worth? Like, well, or is it worth it? Or is it like, do we need to pay you more if yeah. you're going to be the captain? Right? Like, it could go either way. You know what more I mean? More responsibility. So do we have, yeah, to, yeah if, I, if I'm getting more responsibility at work, I'm like, well, okay, I'm not going to do it for free. <laughs> you're going to make so me, you're going to make me like a, the supervisor so or something too? So once Canucks too? talk went to two hours, what you're saying is you went to ask for a raise. All right. All right. Yeah, Secrets well, being I'm revealed not, here. I'm not going to comment talk. on how it's doing, on how it went though, but uh, you know what I mean? It's like, wait, sure. you're, you're putting more on my Especially plate. in a Canadian market. Yeah. Right? This ain't Florida where you're hanging out in Sunrise and media talks to you maybe every couple of days. Yeah. Go ask Bo Horvat and Luke Shen how many times they had to talk to us in the locker room. Almost every single day. It's an added responsibility. And, you know, I like talking to you. Not someone, some of the other guys I don't know about. <laughs> Fill in the joking. blank on that one, folks. Just joking. I wonder if Drance is listening right Just now. Just joking. All right. Uh, lots of good texts coming in. 650-650 to the Dunbar Lubber text line. We'll read some of them. Get back into the Canucks conversation. Talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. Final segment coming up here. Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd, Randeep Janda filling in for Thomas Drance. He'll be back on the show tomorrow. We're live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So, we were talking in the last segment about uh, the future captain. Who is it going to be? When it's going to be named of the Vancouver Canucks. And you said, well, hey, maybe they find him at 19. Maybe, maybe, maybe they do the trade down with the Blackhawks and then pick the future captain at 19. Think about that, though. You free up enough, enough cap space to get your 3C of the now, yeah. but potentially of the future. Get, and then you get uh, maybe even more of it a 3C. At, at least a 3C. And your captain. And I said, yes. well, I can guarantee you, without even doing any, without any knowledge... I can guarantee you there is a roughly point-per-game center from the OHL who's a leader on his team who's projected to go in and around that 19-20 range, who's like future captain material is part of the scouting report. And I left the room during the commercial yes. break. Jamie did not leave his seat. This man was doing research during the yes. commercial break. Who, so is, I who is this person? I want to tell you all about Callum Ritchie, center prospect for the Oshawa Generals in the OHL. 
Uh, Corey Prominent, the athletic, has him mocked going 23rd to the New York Rangers. So right in that range, right around okay. 19. Uh, this part of the scouting board, he's a he's a, a, a natural center with, who plays a solid two-way game, can skate, Check. has legit skill. Check. So that's okay. Okay. So he – oh, and by the way, he had uh, exactly 59 points in 59 games. So right around a point per game, which is, you know, kind of the bar you want from a first-round pick. So, okay, that's that archetype, Matt. But I wanted to make sure he has that leadership. Between right? the ears. So I yep. <laughs> Googled Callum Ritchie leadership. So many hits. McKean's hockey. He's a leader on this team, serving as, as an assistant captain and is certainly a strong candidate to take the captaincy next season. From the Toronto Star, his leadership skills are already apparent. This is it, guys. Future captain, future center. You trade down and you get Callum Ritchie, who has captain written all over him at pick number 19. There you go. I just solved it. I just I, solved the I Canucks can't wait. season. I can't wait till tomorrow's Canucks talk when you're going to have the GM of the Oshawa Generals on this very program. <laughs> what makes Callum Ritchie such a special prospect? <laughs> How soon can he be ready? Is he ready to go right now? Oh, that's fantastic. This is If I well was done. a GM, this is how I would do my draft prep. Like, w before I got into the specifics, I would just be like, I want a mobile defender from the WHL. <laughs> go find it. Go work backwards from there. I'll decide what type of player I want, and then you go find it. I need a big-bodied winger from the USHL, the U.S. Development Program. Go find somebody. Yeah, go find someone somebody who fits, that fits that the profile. Go find someone who fits that for me. Um, so there you go. Uh, I've already forgotten his name. Callum Richard. Cal there we go. <laughs> He's my guy. If they make this trade, I'm I'm pounding the table for you. You're Colin the man Richie. that launched thousands of hockey DB searches That's right. right now. That's right. Right now. Um, and Chris from Nanaimo says uh, if the Canucks made the proposed Chicago trade, who'd be available at 19 that you could see them draft? Well, there you go, Chris. I just told you, Callum Ritchie is obviously uh, obviously uh, the guy. Um, lots of texts coming in uh, in general about some of the Canucks conversations we've been having. Uh, Leaf hater Steve says, let's hope Shen comes back, sign him for two years, give him the C, and then have him pass it on to Hughes. Again, I just don't think I, I don't think Hughes and Pedersen need the like the babysitter period. They're ready. They're they're full grown. They're they're established stars. Let them handle it. They've they've shown they can do it, I think. You know who said the young guys are not so young anymore? Luke Shen. He said that point. in the locker room himself. Very good point. The young guys are no longer young guys anymore. They're not that young anymore. So if the guy that is a part of this hypothesis or proposal has previously already said, you know, it's time for these guys to step up, I don't know if that makes any sense to me. No. Like, like, and again, you just you have to you have to recognize that it's their team at a certain point. Right? Like, you can't keep going down the road of, well, they're not quite ready, so we're going to bring in Jay Beagle, or we're going to re-sign Luke Shen. Look, look, maybe you re-sign Luke Shen, but you can't do it to be the captain. You can't do it to be the leader, right? Like, he, if Luke Shen's coming back, you want him to come in and know that it's Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes' team, right? And that they're the guys who are going to be, as you say, talking to the media every day after practice, rather than Luke Shen this time. You like to have it around, but he's not going to paper over and all of a sudden, like, create a leadership group right he can fit into it but they're they're old they're old enough they're old enough to do it on their own at this point you have to also remember and I know Rick Tockett is the coach he's going to have a say in that but generally this idea comes from the general manager it comes from the executive they have a plan for one of their players and they they want to tap into that go back and I, I know Vancouver is Vancouver Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh but how did that play out in Pittsburgh the best players Sidney Crosby is, he's one of the greatest players of all time. I understand mm -hmm. he's different. 
But the culture that they're trying to get going here in Vancouver is the best players have to make sure that their commitment level is greater than anybody else. It's at an all-time high, so everybody else matches that level. And when you hear Alvin mention that, you hear Rick Tockett mention that, who was an assistant coach on that team, who worked closely with a lot of those guys, this is pointing in the direction of this happening sooner rather than later. Based on the fact that you want these guys to take the bull by the horns. And that's why, like, past examples do matter here because, yes, the Pittsburgh Penguins are an outlier because they have Crosby, they had Malkin, they had, you know, a great infrastructure that they built over time. But if you look at a roadmap, they're going to, it's going to be their best players. I don't, I don't necessarily no. think it's going to be a Luke Shen type of experiment. It's got to be. It has to be. It, it absolutely has to be. Uh, and just by the way, on Luke Shen, I had to read this because this made me laugh. Chet and Burnaby text in with a, a real galaxy brain. And I say that in the nicest way possible here. Proposal. He says, hey, if the Canucks try to re-sign Luke Shen, uh, they should offer him a seven-year, $775,000 a year deal. <laughs> with 2.6 million in signing bonuses, which keeps him under the AHL Barry limit. So this is Chet trying to get, solve problems for everyone, right? AGM Chet. Luke, Luke Shen gets his money spread out, but also the signing bonuses up front. The AAV stays way down. You keep him in the Canucks organization for seven years. You can always bury it in the AHL. I just love the idea of a seven-year, $700,000 contract. That's that's fantastic. That's still fi- over $5 million in total money, plus the signing bonus. I love it. I can guarantee Luke Shen's looking for a, like a two-year deal. Can you imagine if somebody actually hit him with like? Yeah, I'm not even years. talking about an NHL team. Like let let's just say like some Swiss teams come comes out of nowhere. Like <laughs> the one that Mark Crawford was coaching. I don't know the Zurich Lions seven-year deal. Hard to turn that down, man. Even if it's all the way out it. there. It's like you know, like imagine the reaction that uh, that Gary Batman and Bill Daly would have when that when that contract gets on. Like, are you kidding? Like, guys, what are you doing? Are we gonna have to have another lockout? Now you're you're finding loopholes so you can sign guys to seven year AHL deals. Like, come on, what are you doing? Remember when Adam Silver had to like sit down with the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers and basically say, "All right, we need to talk." <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? Trusting the process, I understand, but we need to talk. There's a limit to how much you can trust the process. Batman would have to have well, that. that. That might be Batman with uh, the Blackhawks if they don't at least put some credible talent around. You're talking about Arizona. Yeah. Well, except that's his baby. Though. Yeah, yeah, they can do no wrong. He would never have that conversation. <laughs> They're like the, the kid that gets, you know, is like practically failing out of school, but the parents still love them while, you know, the other other kids are oh, like. Oh, you got a D? Go out. Go yeah. enjoy with your hey, friends. good for you. Yeah. That's better than an yeah. F. It's like, wait, what? You know, the B students like being punished in the back. Yeah. Uh, 650, 650. You can keep your thoughts uh, coming in. And uh, we did start the show off by talking about that, that deal that's been floated out there by Scott Powers at the athletic, uh, where it would be the Canucks trading down from 11, getting the 19th overall pick with Chicago, getting a second round pick, and then also giving them uh, a less than ideal contract. And Brendan G texts in, uh, well, why can't, Chicago take Myers and Garland. Why Why are we just talking about one player? And, well, look, I mean, they have the salary cap space to take more than one player. They got nothing but salary cap space there in Chicago. They need to get to the floor more than anything. Myers, I don't think, makes a ton of sense. Okay, first of all, if you're giving them more salary, you're getting less of a return, right? So maybe say bye-bye to that second-round pick, for example. Yeah. So that hurts it from my, from my uh, perspective. 
Myers in particular, like, yeah, they need to get to the cap floor, but how excited are they going to be to pay a signing bonus to Tyler Myers to do it? There are more cost-effective ways for them to get to the salary cap floor. And as barren as their roster is, like, right defense is actually not necessarily a position of need for them like yeah they kind of need everything it's not great it's not great but, but they still got compared guys compared to the rest of the roster it's not the one thing i would be interested in, if you were trying to do like a mega deal here garland and besser like they need forwards they need people for Connor bedard to play with right to play with on the power play to play with it even strength like if you were trying to build out a mega deal with chicago because they're just looking for guys who can play, guys who can help them reach the floor, and then maybe they flip for assets later. I mean, Garland and Besser could both... like I, That makes a lot more sense to me than including Myers in a package. But then also, you have to look at what are you giving up, right? For yep. them to take on that salary. Because yes, they need guys, but at the same time, teams are not going to let you nope. off the hook. Nope. Not everybody's going to pull a David Poyle going after Ryan McDonough. And McDonough's a good player, but at the same time, what was the discussion going on in the NHL at that point? How did they let him off the hook? Why would you do that to Why Tampa Bay? Why does somebody always bail out the Tampa Bay Lightning? Exactly. And with Ryan McDonough, that's like a cup-winning, top-four defenseman with veteran leadership. Shut down pair guy. All of these reasons why teams would still like, oh, I know it's a bad deal, but we still got to go out and get those guys. Get that guy. Get Garland and Besser, to your point. point. They don't have those. They're, they're surplus players at the, the surplus position around the NHL. And listen, there may be one GM out there that loves that proposition and makes that deal. Like, if Hamannick can be traded for, what, a second, anything's possible, right? But that's probably an outlier. Like, how how often does that happen in this market where mm. there's going to be a number of teams that are trying to get rid of wingers? You're going to have to likely, unless it's tied to the first round pick, you're going to have to give up something, something significant. So even if you were to package both of these guys with the first round, that's what, $12 million a salary? Mm -hmm. Right? Over that. They're desperate? Absolutely. But they also, that's understand, a lot. They also understand the marketplace. Yeah. And, and that's why it's, it's a great idea to have, but you're going to have to give up something pretty significant. And I just think in general, like, when deals start to balloon like that and add more and more pieces, they get more complicated and they tend to fall through. Right? So if you have a deal structured around one player, like a Connor Garland or a Brock Besser, just make that deal. Right? You, you, you you have to start opening up that salary cap flexibility. You can't necessarily be looking for the, well, hey, you got to take the other problem off our hands you know what, uh, as well. You know what? The last time Vancouver did that, what that deal was? The OEL one? Exactly. Yeah. So maybe just bite-sized. Stay focused. A little bite of the Stay elephant. Focused. A little <laughs> bite of the elephant, all right? A little bite of the elephant. A little bite of the elephant. Um, this is hilarious. Jeff, come on. Jeff the Lumberjack from Langley. You got you to gotta bring better better trade proposals is that even us. worth reading i'm not i'm yeah, not even no. gonna read it okay. come on we see it come on jeff up your game uh <laughs> this one comes in though uh canucks could get a third rounder from chicago for garland why swap firsts can they though that's the question i get in theory why you think you should be able to and i like Connor garland as a player so i don't i understand the reasons why he might have negative value because of how the league views wingers but I also don't think it's a guarantee that you're getting a third or fourth round pick. We've heard from Frank Saravalli. Like, what the Canucks are hearing is prices are going to be high. Okay, Jeff qu clarifies that it's a joke. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for texting back in and clarifying that that was a joke. You were this close to being blocked, Jeff. <laughs> you just saved yourself. Now, maybe things develop as we get closer to the draft and closer to free agency and the price changes. But to go from 
having to attach a high pick to move Garland to getting a third or even a fourth, that's a big swing. Like, that's a big swing on the spectrum of trade value. I'm not sure the, the pendulum is going to swing that much, you know, before they need to trade Connor Garland or before they need to do something to open up the cap space. Yeah, and I'm looking at certain scenarios across the league too, right? Because when you talk about a third-round pick for Connor Garland, yes, hey, I'm a fan of his game. I've I've liked his game. I think, you know, what he offers on the third line what you mentioned in the first segment, yeah, it works for the Canucks. It should be something you look at as you grow as a team that needs three scoring lines. You need a play driver on that third line. However, when you're talking about the trade market, we were just talking about Calgary. If Tyler Toffoli is available in trade at $4.25 million for one year, and I'm an acquiring team, who am I going after? Yeah. You can multiply that scenario at least six to seven times because there's going to be players in free agency to a certain extent, but definitely the trade market that you're going to say, yeah, he's probably worth a third, but you know who else is worth a third? Probably seven or eight other players At across least. the league. Yeah, that's the thing. That That's the problem. If he was the only, and this is, and you know, I know Sat brings up the point, and I think, I do, do think it's a fair point, right? That it's a weak free agent market and that yeah. maybe can boost the value of guys like Garland and Besser. That would be a lot more true if they were, like, the only options on the trade, trade market, market or yeah. even the top of the market options. And I just don't think they're going to be. I think you look at the entire spectrum of the winger market. There's going to be cheap guys. There's going to be high-end guys, like potentially a Willie Nylander, right? And there's going to be kind of everything in between. It's going to be a very, very crowded buyer's market on the wings. And the UFA market in 2025 is going to dictate a lot of the moves that are made this summer. If you are not comfortable or confident that you can hold on to this player, or you've had discussions to a certain extent where you're saying he's going to leave for free anyways, or you're changing up what your team wants to be in a year. Like Calgary's in that spot right now where they're figuring out what they want to do long-term. That's one example, but there's other teams that have RFAs. There's other teams that are looking down the road and saying, we can't retain this guy. We've already had those initial discussions. There's going to be, I think, you know, we say this every year and we're always left disappointed, but when it comes to the draft this year, I think that 2025 free agent market of guys that you have a, a, a idea post-draft mm -hmm. that they're not going to sign in your city or if there's, you know, there's even discussions going on right now about Austin Matthews already. And Toronto's starting to get worried about that. But my point is there's going to be guys that are much smaller names but still provide value that are going to be flooding the market yep. that carry less money. So therefore, they're probably better options than Connor Garland. Yeah, that's the thing, because a lot of them will be on a one-year deal, yep. right? At less money than Connor Garland's making, right? Or way less than Brock Besser is making, and that's going to make them uh, a lot more attractive for those teams. Rager texts in, if the Canucks are dead set on making the playoffs this year and they're looking at pick-swapping with Chicago, they should seriously consider betting on themselves and trading next year's first-round pick to move OEL's contract, swap 11 for 19 this year, and then Chicago also gets next year's first. Now... Putting aside the issue of the no move clause with OEL, I do like people have been okay. They're, I don't think they're going to trade 11, just like blanket trade 11 and not get a, another first round pick back. I don't think that's happening. Yep. I will say the idea of them trading 20, the 2024 first round pick would not shock me because you're doing exactly what Rager's talking about. You, you do it for something that helps you right now, whether it's the cap space or the player, and you say, we're confident we're going to be in the playoffs, so we're not as concerned about losing that pick. I wouldn't agree with it, but that to me is like, okay, look, we are desperate here. 
We don't want to do it necessarily. We can't use a buyout option for whatever reason. We don't want to trade pick number 11. And you just kind of sit down and you go through the options that are available to you. You come to, okay, what about next year's first? If we improve enough, will that ease some of the pain of giving that pick away? Like similar to the JT Miller situation, right? They made that trade at the draft, but for next year's draft to bring in a player who helped them right now. Yeah, I hate to put it uh, yeah, out there. See, I hate to put it out there. The first just, thing, the first it, thing it popped that, into my mind. Well, though. the first thing po- that popped into my mind when you said that was Macklin Celebrini. Vancouver's own. But, it, okay, it's a very real possibility because you want to add to this group. They mm-hmm. talked about adding additional draft picks, and a proposal like this, the Chicago one, would do that. Mm-hmm. You're able to get that second-round pick. You're able to get a player that, you know, at 35 gives you – you know, a pretty decent player. And sometimes, as we've seen, players can drop out of that first round and you're, on the second day of the draft, you're sitting in a pretty good spot. But I think why a lot of people will be wary right now is that this team... Look, I'm not endorsing No, it. no, for I'm sure. I'm just but- saying, like, if you start to think about the options to, re- like, let's say you start with the, the fundamental rule of we want to improve for next year and we want to keep pick 11. Your options dwindle pretty fast, and then yeah. and you start to look ahead to the future. No, no, that, that, and that's why 19 makes a lot of sense to me, because if you're talking about moving down and freeing up cap space, guys, there's not many alternatives in no. terms of freeing up cap space. It's either sweeteners, it's either, you know, you can hope for LTIR, but guess who controls that? A player in question. Mm-hmm. And I know we're thinking about the three letters of a certain player on the Vancouver Canucks. That we love to talk about, the big three letters. Oh, yeah. But... Guess what? You can't really control that. As a management, you know, a person, this is not Roby Dow Island anymore. Unfortunately, that doesn't really exist. You have to, the player has to sign on. The player has to be on board. Yeah. And so, yeah, the reality is you either move back or potentially that scenario that you you suggest, yeah, it could could happen. Well, and that's the thing, like, that's why the moving the moving down scenario kind of threads the needle where you retain a lot of draft value, but you solve some of your current day problems. And that to me is like, that's way more preferable than trading your 2024 first round pick. Even if you protect it like that is, I would much, much rather do the trade down, get my guy Callum Ritchie from the Oshawa generals than trade 2024. And so, so he texts in, it would be just the Canucks luck that they trade the 2024 first round pick. Uh, then they win the lottery and lose out on Macklin Celebrini. Uh, that's from Soapy. I mean, I will say they didn't get burned in the JT Miller one, right? Like that could have gone way worse. They traded the future first and yep. it's uh, Shakira Mokmadulin. Yes. Who's now, now in, in San Jer- Jose, yeah, I believe. From right? New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. So that, that pick was traded a couple of times. That pick's basically. bounced yeah. around and it hasn't like, it's not someone who's gone on to have an immediate impact. He could still turn into a good player. And I'm like, I'm sure he's a defenseman, right? The Canucks would love to have him in the system, but you got really good years out of JT Miller. Like that worked out for you. Let's put it this way. If Mukmadulin does well in San Jose, like that's a great opportunity for him. Cause he's going to yep. play a lot. So if he's a player, we'll find out pretty soon. But I mean, you look at the value you got on the court sure. and okay. Or on the court, I'm watching basketball highlights here on the ice. <laughs> I was like, wait, JT Miller is now playing basketball after he gave up on golf? <laughs> What's going on here? What? I'm trying out for the NBA now. <laughs> you got 99 points from a player. He's a point yeah. per game player. Right. Yes. Like, he's no. been good for you in that span. I don't think that's uh, – you're not cursing that trade necessarily. But I understand, you know, Soapy texts in. Yeah, it would be just for them to win the lottery and lose out on Macklin Celebrity. Like, I get it that we always think the worst-case scenario is going to happen to the Canucks, but – 
hey, at least in the JT Miller one, they uh, they didn't get burned too badly. Uh, final couple minutes of the show here. I did want to get into this really quickly. GM of the year nominees, which is always so funny because it's they wait until they see who the conference finalists are, right? And then they're like, oh, that guy did a great job. Now that his team's in the conference finals. So it's Jim Nill from Dallas, Don Sweeney. So to be fair, the Bruins lost in the first round. Uh, and Bill Zito of the Florida Panthers are the finalists for GM of the year. It, like, this is always a weird award. This seems like a weird group of nominees to me. Uh, Bill, It has to be Bill Zito, I think, sure. to win the award. Just because he has the one big headline trade. But, like, Don Sweeney, I know the Bruins had a great season. But, like, in terms of moves this year, this league year... I don't know, like getting Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci on sweetheart deals. How much did he have to do with that? They weren't going to sign anywhere else. They were going to. They were always going to go to Boston. Okay. But the Jim Montgomery hire, right, and the way that they played. And listen, Linus Allmark is going to get probably going to get the Vesna. But that system is something that has really played to advantage. And who put that in? So to play devil's advocate, Jim Montgomery had a huge part of that that team. And remember, Bruce Cassidy was doing a great job in Vegas. Those players hated his guts at the huh? end of that tenure. Yeah, but like tra- firing a coach who your players hate and who guys are going to retire if you don't fire could've, him. They could have. I could have done that. I, I don't know about that. Told you to fire Bruce Cassidy. I, I don't know about that. You got to pick the right guy. You can't just pick any guy. Yeah, but it was more about to me. Like no disrespect to Jim Montgomery, but it's more about them getting rid of Bruce Cassidy than the guy they brought in. You built arguably the greatest regular season team in the history of the league. I get that, that counts for something. I get, I get why he is – look, and I actually – the funny thing is I think the best part of his work was probably the trade deadline, and then it doesn't look good because they lose in the first round. But I don't know. To me, it's Bill Zito uh, in a walk. Randy, it's been awesome. It's been good to have you. Uh, Drancer will be back uh, tomorrow, so prepare for uh, you know the regular dose of doom and gloom. Uh, we will be back on the air as well. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.